Welcome to Therapia, where we dive into the minds of therapists. This is where you get answers to all the weird, wonderful, and edgy questions you have. I'm your host, Indigo Melrose, counselor and psychotherapist, dementia expert, and passionate podcaster. So, let's get into it. Bumpkin yokel farm guy who likes growing his own food and making his own alcohol and uh, a dude who travels overseas into war zone helps teach people not to die. Meet Stuart, fellow psychotherapist and group facilitator. Stuart teaches people to survive war zones, builds tiny homes, enjoys Celtic mythology and, at times, shoots a bow and arrow. Stuart and I will be deep diving to the meaning of worthiness. And in the process, meeting the inner critic. My name's Stuart. Generally, I live in a bus in the wilderness and teach people how to not die in war zones as well, which is what I mainly do for money, I guess. So my background is in the military and special forces and had a very colourful career there. Got out of that and eventually fell into sort of a training role. I teach mainly diplomats, journalists, things like that overseas, going into war zones or disaster zones or dangerous places with um, journalists doing security advising with them. I know I have that ability. I like that sort of action adventure, I guess, to a certain extent, or at least teaching people about it. And um, studied psychotherapy with you for two years. And that, that I think, is is still is still like coming to fruition. I'm not sure exactly how that ties into everything yet, but it's something that I'm moving towards. Uh, certainly, in in the way that I teach, I've often gravitated towards training people, not just in the physical sense, but in in more of an emotional or a, uh, psychological sense. Before this podcast, Stuart suggested we explore what it is to be worthy. It's a good question. And one I hadn't given much thought to. A pretty loaded word, worthy, and it's going to mean something different to many different people. Stuart, for you, what does it mean to be worthy in today's day and age? What a tough question. <laughs> for me, this is this is the journey that I'm on. Like, what is worthy? And how do I attain that goal? Do I even want to attain that goal? So for me, it has been something that historically in the past has been measured quite extrinsically like through others my worthwhileness to another person my worthwhileness to a group my worthwhileness to a society how much do i fit in and how much do i add to that that group or that person and then i've had it stripped from me as well uh not too long ago so i've gone through a pretty deep period of like just feeling utterly unworthy in life uh, just in general, from experiences that happened. And now I'm starting to kind of rebuild it and looking at those old patterns and going like, I guess basing it on an extrinsic measure was maybe not the best idea or isn't the best idea for moving forward for me in that it was probably a great idea at the time for a younger man. But as I'm getting older now, it needs to be something that actually arises from within me. So worthiness is starting to become more of a internal moral compass that I base my actions off. Worthiness. As our inner moral compass, it sounds poetic, but how come worthiness is often something we give away? As Stuart said, he had an experience of another stripping his worthiness from him. 
I wanted to know what that was like. That was an individual that I was very interlocked with that then knowingly or unknowingly used that against me to elicit that response where I didn't feel worthy for whatever reason. And then I carried that after that person became detangled from me and, and like was no longer in my life. Then I carried that lack of worthiness around. It was just huge emptiness in my life where that was something that was absolutely solid. That was something that I'd based my ego on, my construct of who I was on, was how worthy I am to other people. And then all of a sudden realizing that all those things may not be appropriate, may not even be meaningful anymore. It kind of eroded all that bedrock and uh, some into a bit of a free fall for a while, kind of into a dark place, I guess. I'm just thinking of how that's going to be relating to a lot of people, actually. And as you say, this is something you're now rebuilding because you're seeing it from a new angle at, with maturity and age and experience. Mm. And maybe you have to have it removed for it to be seen as, oh, okay, well, this is something that can be taken very uh, easily from me. And actually, it's not an external, it's an internal um, process that I can own. The only person that can pick up the hammer of Thor is somebody who is worthy. And so that often pops into my mind. There was a whole comic arc that came out of that called The Unworthy Thor, where he actually, through an idea given to him by an enemy, loses his worthiness and can no longer pick up his hammer. And he has to like go about all these adventures to try and find his worthiness again. If worthiness can be taken, then it has to be developed at some point. Where does our sense of worthiness develop from? Is it our parents? Is it our peers? Society? Stuart had some pretty interesting insights into how he developed his sense of self-worth. As a young man, and certainly as a young man going to the military, so there's that not only tendency and drive towards violence, but that education. You know, I knew how to exact violence upon the world. That needs mechanisms of control on it. And so the fact that I then had a system around me where I was trying to people please and be worthy of others meant that others could control me. Looking back on that, I think that there is an element of correctness in that for a young man to be manipulated in that way because I had the ability to manipulate the world in a pretty horrific way if I wanted to. So something needs to manipulate me to not necessarily go do that when young men uh, possibly don't have that balance where they've got that will to manipulate the world and they don't have the constructs on them of manipulation on them which could be through that worthiness maybe that's when we're seeing like guys go off the rails and do you know violent crimes whatever it is but eventually like that mold needs to be broken or with me that mold needs to be broken how did you experience the breaking away or what was it that made you um, break away in the end from the army as a construct? I mean, like, I, I was I was starting to struggle with, like, post-traumatic stress disorder. I was in the, in the army for six years and I was starting to, to get a lot of problems, I guess, and just felt like I wasn't fitting in there and that my ability to keep up with that construct of rules you know, especially the part of it, the army that I was in, it was very, it was very high paced and the training was very hard and it was very constant. And you always had to be hitting that mark, hitting that mark. Like there was no excuse for falling short of that mark. And so when I was starting to fall short of that mark, I very quickly realized I'm, I'm heading towards a brick wall here. Something's going to go wrong. So I need to actually pull myself away from that. 
Having said that, though, I think that was actually a disruption in that evolution of worthiness where I never got through to a point where I can start to instill my own moral compass into that world. Superheroes, gods, they seem to embody the best of humankind amplified. We can learn important life lessons from storytelling. I told you Stuart was into mythology. A one-handed god in particular holds his attention. Is there someone that you think you embody worthiness? I mean, as you know, I'm, I'm very into mythology and mythological tales and particularly Norse mythology. I'm very deeply entrenched in, in that tradition. When I think about worthiness from that Norse tradition, I often think about the god Tyr, a god of war but also a god of justice. He's very fair and he was, um, when, when it came, came time for the gods to try and bind the uh, wolf Fenrir who, or Fenris, who was preordained to destroy the gods, you know, kill the gods, so they're like, we're going to bind this, this horrible giant wolf force up. They could only do it by cutting a deal with Fenrir that he would be bound if one of the gods put their hand in his mouth, and if he couldn't escape the binds, he would bite the hand off. And all the gods said, no, 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 no way, not doing it. Like Odin was like, no, I'm not doing it. And even Thor was like, no, that's that's not really my jam. Like I kind of need both my hands, but Tyr did it. So Tyr's actually known as the one-handed god because he put his hand in there, and when they bound Fenrir and he couldn't get out, he offered his hand to Fenrir and said, we did a deal, you can take my hand. That was just. He got to bind Fenrir until Ragnarok, and... Fenrir got his hand. And so there's that kind of like, this This guy is really worthy. He's, he's sacrificing of himself for the greater good of his people. Maybe there's something within worthiness that it's not a calculated thing. It's not earned or given. It's just existing, isn't it? And yet a lot of the things that I guess people try and do for worthiness are to try and portray themselves in a certain way or achieve a certain goal to be gifted this uh, very temporary state so when you were telling me that story there was just something very concrete about it it was it couldn't be taken from him i mean what i really like about that story and to kind of make it analogous of our society or how i would see it anyway is that all the gods said no that they weren't going to do it so there was like a norm set there there was precedence where it was like no this is not something that we do okay we, we don't offer our hands to a you know a devourer a wolf a giant we stay intact. And despite everyone else saying no, he still said yes. So he was going against his society for the good of the society. He's not doing what society, his society is doing. He's doing something above and beyond that. He's got his own moral compass there, his own set of values. But we are not gods. We are human, and worthiness is often measured from an external vantage point rather than an internal value system. To go against the grain is unnatural and requires breaking away from social norms, as I found out. As you know, I got engaged not too long ago, and we were given this really interesting card. And the card was this happy couple, and they're together, and they're falling in love, and they're getting engaged, they get married, and then she's pregnant, she's a baby, and the, and the first two boxes are ticked. And then it's this expectation that, oh, to be a good, you know, human, this is your life cycle. It's like, I'm going to just tick the boxes. I'm just thinking of a quote here. 
in modern society, as in all societies before, people are not all of equal worth. And I think people uh, in our current society are very much allotted worth based on box ticking. Uh, to go against that mould is what we're talking about, to go inward into that inner compass and, you know, live by your own sense of self-worth. I don't think many people know how to do that or would have the courage to do that. There's a lot of fear in that. For me, the, the draw towards that is, is still there. I still want to compare myself to the Joneses. I still think, oh, God, I'm almost 40 years old. I'm I'm unmarried. I'm, I don't have kids. I don't have a mortgage. I, and I still feel that draw every now and then, this part of me that's like longing towards the normality, the comfort of that normality in society that I'm just going through and ticking the boxes. But I've also come to learn that the ticking of the boxes every time I've tried to do it ends in catastrophe <laughs> of some, some level because there's something else that's like outside of that or wants to be outside of that or just is outside of that. Humor me. For a moment, think beyond the measurable, external version of a person's worth. What is a human's worthiness if all the tick boxes are thrown out? Curious? I know I am. Obviously, there's a part of you that has a different um, perspective on what worthiness is, and that's come from all these situations and these, I guess, roles you've filled within different segments of society. What would you say is a version of worthiness that you do not feel is appreciated in today's day and age? So an underappreciated measure of worthiness in today's society. You know, the world I live in where I see, you know, constantly seeing societies that have collapsed or, or um, totally gone to shit or something, you know, something's happened, you know, disasters hit, whatever, whatever it was. Just, just watching how people react, how people survive, how people get through it, who can and who can't. Resilience is, is a massive thing coupled with functionality, I would call it. I guess you could call it fitness to to a certain extent, but it's not like you know being able to run Bondi to Kuji sort of fitness. It's not looking good with your shirt off in summer sort of fitness, but it's the ability to actually move, lift, run, sprint when needed, climb something. Uh, it's kind of like the ability to survive, I guess, in in an emergency situation by utilizing your body. Ability to adapt very quickly and respond to the environment and what the environment's throwing at you. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, we've got like hundreds of thousands of like years of evolution technology within us that that's kind of screaming to be used, and we kind of dampen it, and we just don't don't allow it to be used a lot of the time. So people who kind of allow it to be used or can still tap into that, they're worthwhile because when you're in this sort of emergency situation. If you're not somebody who can help others, so you're at the level where not only can you survive yourself, but usually if you can survive yourself, then automatically you can help others, then you're a burden. Because if you can't look after yourself, somebody has to look after you, which means that you're taking somebody who can look after themselves out of the game. And that kind of tipping point in a lot of these societies that go crazy is when there's too many people who can't look after themselves. And it all just goes shit. I've seen places that disasters have hit. I've seen places that there's been societal collapse. They just kept on living because the 
average person could look after themselves and could look after their spouse and their kids and their neighbour and that neighbour could as well and their neighbour could and everyone just sort of looked after each other and just went about their business. That, to me, makes somebody worthwhile. It's uh, strengthening that sort of web of a a society or a community and adding to it as opposed to detracting from it or consuming from it. There's an awareness that comes with that then. Like there's an awareness of how the fabric of society can be upheld and getting on with it. I'm just thinking in a couple of Western countries where the comfort is so high and that uh, struggle is so... Uh, unknown and unfamiliar that that getting on and that resilience to persevere and look after the community would be quite a foreign experience. 2020 has been a year that has tested the fabric of humanity. In Australia, communities were rocked by fires, floods, and then the world was hit with COVID. I thought about my actions. How had I added worth to my community and my loved ones? Our fire chief came in just before the fires hit and said, when it comes over the mountain, we're on our own. The entire township just, we all just sort of like looked at each other and go, went, let's get on with it then. Every single person had a ute loaded on a thousand litre water tank and their firefighter pump and flat out for a month, pretty much every day, we w- went around and helped put out fires and helped save houses. And really, there was almost zero property damage in our area because there were so many of us who were just doing this. And then the fires, led into floods and everyone just looked after each other and made sure everyone was fed and then COVID hit in March. And in fact, to my knowledge, we, our local supermarket, the IGA, was the last IGA that had toilet paper in it in New South Wales. Stuart's rural-based community did something right. Meanwhile, my experience in the city had been quite different. Physically, we live on top of each other and yet there was so much emotional and psychological distance. I was really enjoying Stuart's insights into worth and worthiness. So I had a bit of a quirky request of my fellow psychotherapist. If you were Emperor Stuart and constructed your ideal world, how would Emperor Stuart measure a person's worth in his society? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Stoicism, of the philosophy of Stoicism. That, that is actually one of the things that I, I really like about the Stoic philosophy is it does have that kind of internal compass that people build themselves off. So, like, the externality of people's opinions is meaningless or, you know, should be to, like, you know, a practised Stoic sage. Yeah, so, like, there, there's that part of it, I guess, that, that instantly when we said emperor, I was like, oh, man, like, internal compass. Like, you know, people should have their own internal compass. One of the things would be produce more than you consume. I find I fall into a trap in society and, and just the way I was immersed, marinated in something that just makes me want to consume. It's buying new things. It's taking in media. It's ta- consuming news. It's consuming you know Netflix shows. It's consuming Instagram feeds. And I just wonder how much I'm putting out sometimes. <laughs> how much am I producing? There's kind of a scale there. And if I can push that scale for myself at some stage into where I'm producing more and putting out more than I'm consuming, then I feel like I'm worthy. And so if I was emperor, I would try and encourage that within people. I really like that. And I don't think I've ever thought of it quite in that way, I guess, because our consumption is so much more than just food, Netflix and things. It's also 
just an expectation that we get whatever we want. And I think this generation in particular uh, is like that in even the workplaces and things. There was um, an expectation to progress, to get the pay rise, that we are almost entitled to these things. So I think it's almost consumption with entitlement now. It's a whole mm -hmm. number level. I reckon uh, just start a little colony, Stuart, and that can be the, the one criteria of all the colony inhabitants. <laughs> right now, today, if you were to say a few things that make you feel worthy. Yeah, I have a garden and I, gr I grow my own food. Not all my own food, just, just some food. But it, it gives me a tremendous feeling of worthiness that's still a little bit beyond explanation. Yeah, there's, there's a whole heap of other things going on there that I'm tending something, that I'm growing something. There's a, there's a life form that I'm in a symbiotic relationship with, even if it is just lettuce. We have talked about worthiness and how it is built within oneself, how it could be removed, and how it exists in society. Now it is time to face someone we all know intimately, our inner critics. For me, recently going through this experience of feeling not so worthy and as a result not putting out any sort of writings or anything that I've done, not running any of my own personal sort of courses or anything like that. Yeah, a lot a lot of it is that whenever I produce something or I write something, there's there's a whole heap of people that are immediately on my back saying, This is not good enough. This is shit. This is crap. This isn't gonna work. And they're they're, they're just hammering me with all this stuff. But the thing is that these people they're usually people that I know, but they're all in my head. <laughs> like none of them are actually saying this stuff. It's just me saying it through them in my head. Our imagination is this inner critic, and it's and it and it's like super powerful, and it's super manipulative, and it's super chameleon-like. I can't pin it down. It sneaks in there quite often, and it really hampers, like deadens the the feeling of worthiness. It's it's on a scale too. It actually does have positive parts to it where it can take what I'm what I'm doing and it can refine it and make it better and better and better so that at the point when it comes out, it is actually like some really, really good stuff. Quite often and more often than not lately, it's been just handbreaking everything where it's coming in so hard that I'll just stop whatever I'm doing, the project that I'm doing will just terminate, the writing that I'm doing will stop, uh, it won't come out or It'll keep refining, keep refining, keep refining, keep refining until there's actually nothing there to put out. I like that you made that distinction between it having a positive quality and a negative quality because I think I always, as soon as I think inner critic, I think of this uh, terrible inner voice and I forget how useful it can be sometimes and how important it is as well because um, people that don't have a very uh, strong inner critic or any inner critic can think they're wonderful and have all this sort of... Uh, egotistical um, energy that that is um, unhampered and I also I just I had a little um, like quote that I read and I wanted to just read it out because I think you're already pulling from these things that these are inner voices that are familiar to us and uh, the, the relevance of this is a critical inner voice acts like a cruel coach inside our heads that tells us we are worthless or undeserving of happiness. This coach is shaped from painful childhood experiences and critical attitudes we were exposed to in early life as well as feelings our parents had about themselves. And I think that 
simplifies it too much, putting it all down to childhood on one level. Um, but also when we're children, I guess we're almost sponge-like. So we take a lot of that early material and it does shape us. And I think there is a lot to say about learning your inner critic. And that can be in later life as well as early life. For you, when I read that, how did that resonate or how did that speak to you, that particular quote? You're right. Like all things, the genesis of it is, is in childhood. For me, at least like a parental thing that came through on some level. When I said there's that chameleon-like quality to it, it's constantly updating itself, cloaking itself in a new skin. And so it's like my high school friends and then it's like my army mates and then it's like an ex-girlfriend and continually updating itself and getting better at what it does. But yeah, it, it's, a, it's a dance too. It's like trying to understand that it's also this massive protective figure that's trying on some level to look after me yeah, I'm, I'm not in control of the programming anymore. Like I gave it a prime directive to look after me and then kind of like locked it in a room for 15 years and then wondered what that noise was in the room, why the house was rumbling because there's a, a giant golem that I created that I forgot about down there that's now wrecking the house. The continual reminding of myself to like try and get back to that inner critic and, and then to try and make peace with it again and try and go through it until... You know, it builds a better mousetrap or updates its operating system again. Value. How do you feel when you hear that word? As Stu and I talked, the word kept prying its way into my thoughts. I wanted to know how Stuart saw value versus worth. When, when you say that value and worthiness, uh, and especially thinking about modern society, like today's society, value makes me think of money. And money is the ruling factor of our society. Like, I don't care what anyone says. It's the ruling factor of our society. And value is something that's very, very closely linked, in my mind at least, to money or to that monetary system. You know, you're a valued customer. This is a valuable jewel. This is, this is great value. This car was great value. Whereas people would not say, you're a worthy customer. This jewel is worthy of being on your finger. That car is worthy to take you i mean i'd say that because that's dumb shit that i say <laughs> this is a worthy steed this vehicle but yeah we, we don't say that right there i'm seeing i'm seeing like the difference between value and worth and for me that's one of the cruxes of our society i actually read this article and this person in all seriousness was talking about the threat of the shrinking population problem and I'm like, oh, that, that's something interesting. I haven't heard of that. And there's a, there's a slowing in population growth in Western societies, which are the richer societies. And this person was basically saying, we need to keep an eye on this and we need to do something like uh, against it now because he listed out exactly how much a human being is worth in a society and how societies with more human beings have more uh, money flowing around in them. So they're budget their economy is flowing faster so we have to keep breeding is basically what this guy was saying <laughs> just you existing and consuming come back to that consuming sort of thing because a human consumes thus they go through money and thus they have to earn money and thus it all keeps rolling so value to me i kind of have a negative connotation obviously as i'm painting here whereas worthiness sits outside of that worthiness doesn't care about money and again, bring back to tier, 
he wasn't doing what he did for money. He wasn't doing it for glory. He was doing it because it was the right thing to do. And that's where worthiness sits to me. So the difference between value and worthiness in the context of our society is like chalk and cheese to me. Like they're totally different concepts. We have our ideas about worthiness. Maybe worthiness means something different to you. It's worth thinking about where you get your sense of self-worth. To wrap up our journey, I asked Stuart about a daily ritual he has, some advice, and a juicy book recommendation. I would love like a quirky ritual you do each day to be inserted in here somehow. Coffee is definitely a ritual for me. <laughs> Coffee is like a superfood as far as I'm concerned. It's a wonder drug. But it can do some pretty funky things to the body too. So I'm trying to use it to its maximum potential because it opens up the veins, opens up the body, allows things to travel through there quickly. So I'm loading it up with other stuff to get out into the cells very quickly. And then I'm loading it with other stuff that's going to counteract some of the negative effects that it has and try and stop it from like spiking my adrenals and draining the adrenals real quick. And like, I'm no expert on this. I'm just listening to experts and I'm reading a lot of the research on it and going like, yeah, this, this seems like a good idea. And if I want to drink coffee, I want to do it in the right way. What is some advice that was given to you that you would like to pass on? No one can be a better Stuart Cadet than I can be. That's actually like a little mantra that I keep that somebody told me once that like I keep trying to come back to because no one can beat me at me at being me. So what I need to do is just concentrate on being me. I love that. No one can be a better put your name in there. I I, I think that's gorgeous. It's so simple. It's it's so simple and yet it's a great mantra to remind oneself of. And I know you read a fair bit. So is there something you're reading at the moment? Is there something that's resonating with you that you think people should get their hands on? So I just I just finished this book, which is called The Knowledge. It's The Knowledge by by Lewis Dartnell. It's rebuild our world after an uh, after a collapse or an apocalypse. Yeah, he sort of thought about like, well, what what things do we need to do or what knowledge do we need that I could put in a book um, in a fun kind of way to read, an easy way to read, which would help skip us over having to do two to 6,000 years of research again to get us back to the point where we are as a civilization. Well, friends, I feel like we have shared quite the adventure. Therapy is all about deep diving into the unknown. If you feel like you got something out of this conversation, then please spread the word. To contact this week's guest speaker or learn more about the topic and how you can work with it, check out our show notes. Therapy releases new episodes weekly, so make sure you stay connected. Bye from us at Therapia and stay curious.